I think it's actually working this time. Huzzah! I think so. I hope so. That's quite some lag if it's... Oh, boy. Hang on a second. What did I do this time? Oh, wait, there it goes. Just on quite a long delay. Um, let me grab the link so I can see what I'm doing. <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, there we go. Finally. Also, I remember you guys saying on the last stream that um, <laughs> there's issues with the not being able to read the chat, so change it around. Hopefully, this is all a little better. You can actually see the text on the side as it's going. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're on YouTube already, but if like you're watching the replay or if you're on mobile or whatever, so should be pretty good. Uh, let me pop out the chat real fast. Wow, this is on quite a delay. Well, whatever. Um. Oh, wait, I don't even need to do that. Perfect. All right, here we go. So, hey guys, how's it going? Uh, this is the, <laughs> I guess, the social isolation stream. Um, none of us can do anything. All we can really do is sit around and play around the internet. So, Figured this was a pretty good time to go back and revisit one of my, um, two of my theories that I, that people seem to really enjoy and I enjoyed writing. It's one of those fun, like, um, puzzle theories where you're trying to take, you're just trying to make the pieces fit together in a way that makes sense and actually improves the story, which isn't, doesn't always work. Sometimes it leads you down bad paths, but the ones that they started with, uh, well, that I started with, why did I say they? I did this. This was me. Um, <laughs> the ones I started with was uh, Pretty Maris and Brienne of the Wind. Uh, Pretty Maris of the Windblown and Brienne the Beauty. And just to refresh anybody, if you don't remember these, the links are down in the description if you want to check them out. Um, if you're watching on replay or whatever. But basically, it goes that when George R. R. Martin was going from a storm of swords to a dance with dragons. He initially planned to jump the narrative ahead five years because in his mind, he didn't like how um, he didn't like the stories he was going to have to tell for a lot of his characters, especially the younger characters, where it wasn't really going to make a lot of sense. For instance, if you're talking about um, talking about someone like Arya, where he had this idea of a uh, I guess of her being this master assassin person, maybe even sort of a femme fatale character, but in a storm of swords, I think she's still like 10 or 11, pretty, pretty young. Part of his thinking was that if you move the narrative forward five years, a lot of these issues that started because of how he started his story kind of go away. <laughs> oh, well, let's check out what's going on in the chat real fast. Oh, like in my Pokemon in the back. Yep. I got a uh, Bulbasaur, Dragonite, Arcanine, and a Flareon. I almost said Eevee. That's not good. Um, let's see here. 
Yeah, it looks like George is writing. That's definitely true. He's up in the cabin, from what I hear. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a... Um, <laughs> George's writing stuff is pretty funny. He's got on where he lives, he's got his house, and then he's got another house that he uses for writing. But apparently, there's too many distractions in his second house that he uses for writing. So he's got a cabin up in the, essentially the mountains of Dorne, basically, like his own Tower of Joy. And that's where he goes to isolate himself. That's where Fire and Blood came from, basically. Well, sort of. That's where a lot of the new writing came from for Fire and Blood, particularly uh, Jaharis and Alison. Uh, let's see here. Steven Starks here. What's going on, man? Uh, Kyle Wilson. Uh, let's see here. Nicola, Courtney. Hey, Courtney, how's it going? Helen O'Grady. Doesn't really feel like a Saturday, does it? Um, but yeah, so that's that's what George is doing. I was thinking about doing a video on maybe like a news thing just because there's so much ridiculousness going on about like where he is. Mostly, I would say, inspired by one uh, Brendan B. Fish who just enjoys trolling people that for some reason take his news seriously. Oh, um, Aaron M. asks, what am I drinking? I have... Actually, for this stream in particular, this side we have the Tarth Sigil, and in it I have uh, ginger ale and some Targaryen whiskey, because apparently I'm a Tark stan these days. <laughs> no beer this time. I stocked up for social isolation by buying hard liquor instead of beer because beer goes a lot faster all right so to get back to the point um <laughs> the point of the the video with uh brianna maris while the five-year gap worked really well for certain characters especially those going through train sequences john um aria brand kind of sansa a lot of his younger characters it worked really, really poorly for a lot of his older characters, especially those he'd left on kind of cliffhangers or with open-ended stories. So, for instance, his his famous... Um, actually, I'm not sure if it's him, but it's widely assumed. I'd have to check a quote for this. That one of the big problems was somebody like Cersei. At the end of A Storm of Swords, she's kind of in control of King's Landing. And how would you explain what those five years were like with, um, with Cersei Lannister in control of King's Landing? Because that's kind of where he wanted to go next with her character, but it's really hard to see how a stable regime would come out of a character like that. Um, other ones that, that, that really didn't work for was uh, the one I identified first, uh, Brienne, where at the, as Storm of Swords, she sort of sets off on a quest to find uh, and return Sansa Stark and Arya to um, to their mother by Jaime Lannister. And she has a note from King Tommen. She has a um, she has Oathkeeper, and she sets out to go find the girls and return them. So. When you're talking about where you pick her up again in A Dance with Dragons before it was split into the two books, like, what has she been doing for those five years? She can't have found them 
because that would finish the plot that he set up for her like totally off off screen which is a big waste of setting that up so he'd want to tell it but it would just be like five years of failure sort of where would she even go like is it just her wandering the the riverlands looking for them just like completely hapless is it like sort of a more dark uh duncan the tall story it's it's something that works pretty well if you're um if you kind of isolated it off on its own and you did a travelogue thing, but you'd have to pick up right there after five years of her not finding the girls. So that represents a problem. Uh, um, oh, people are asking how this whiskey is. I think it's the exact same as the, the Stark one. It's fine. It's, um, Reasonably good whiskey. I just mostly, I like the ginger ale more than anything. Um, let me try it again. Well, it's also, I didn't put ice on it because I'm an idiot. Someone out there is going to yell at me in the chat. I know this. I think I need to move the chat around. I can't really see you guys, what you're saying that well. There we go. Right in front of me. Okay. <clears throat> Little, yeah, Lil King Tommen. So if you're talking, if she hasn't found them yet and it's been five years, then she's probably going to have to gone through quite a lot of failure as a character. And that's sort of where you see pretty Maris come in as the, as the idea of where you would start her at the beginning of a dance with dragons, someone who has lost their way, someone who has fallen in with bad company because probably run out of money at this point. She's not wealthy to begin with like her father is but she's not carrying around sacks of gold or anything like that or lots lots of gold or anything like that and also um <laughs> how basically like stripping away her idealism and that's where you that's where you get pretty marish the idea of brienne just totally crashing and burning for five years and that seems to be what a lot of the windblown characters are. Um, the next one I identified was actually um, Cago Corpse Killer. That one kind of jumped off the page a little bit. Um, it's the the key with these windblown characters is that George apparently likes playing games with them, where he enjoys making them familiar enough that you can sort of see the connections between them, but. Not so much that there are ways in that it's impossible in the narrative for them to be the same character. Like when I was researching the original theory, I actually looked it up and people on Westeros.org for quite a while had been saying like, wait, 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 these Brienne and Pretty Marimer sound like the exact same person. They look the same. They have the same sort of martial attitude, same size. There's all these weird connections like Pretty Maris and Brienne the Beauty, where they're ironic nicknames for them. And then someone else would always chime in with like, well, it can't be them. It can't be Brienne because there's not enough time to pass. And Maris looks visibly older than Brienne, like a lot older. So it can't be. And it's one of these, um, <laughs> it's one of these things where you can, 
you can write these off, these connections off as just being like, oh, he's telling the same story over again, but without realizing that they're the same person. Oh, hey, uh, Sarah Charles showed up in the chat. How's it going? Um, thanks. Oh, yeah, a lot of people want to know about the Tattered Prince. That'll be the next one of these to come back up and I'll be talking about because there's a few options and that's kind of the reason I haven't actually done it yet. When I think about um, there's a few things that lead me down different paths. Um, it sort of depends. You, you have to keep in mind though, when you're thinking about them, where the characters are at the end of a storm of swords, do they exist? Where were they going? What's their plot going forwards? Because the windblown version should be commentaries on them. Like how I said in the uh, Kago corpse killer one, that, Kago is sort of like the hound separated from Sandor. When you talk, when you look at how Sandor became um, the grave digger and sort of gave away some of his hatred or tried to and separated. And there's even a line where um, I forget the name, this Septon or the brother on the quiet aisle essentially says like the hound is dead. And it's one of those funny uh, wordplay things that George likes to play. So for the tattered prince, it's usually where the place to start is like, who's a prince and who has, um, who has become tattered, who has lost their way, who has a, who has access to grind with Targaryens and Pentos. That's the one that, that kind of makes me go down a certain path. I don't really want to spoil it right now because I think it's right and it'd be pretty interesting. Um, so I'm just going to. Uh, is that because the five-year gap scrap? Exactly. Yeah, Josh. Um, this is actually something that came up quite a bit in the video comments when I originally posted this, where people were like, I don't get it. They can't be the same person. You have to understand the five-year gaps exists in the narrative for it to kind of make sense. Um, if you're not aware of what that is and kind of George's writing style, then it's going to be a little tough to follow. I probably should have explain that more but yeah it was at the advice of other authors that he scrapped it but one important part about uh george is that he kind of pack rats everything like he's famously said that he has all of his notes like even from when he was a kid still sitting in drawers somewhere he has all of his toys from when he was a kid he has comic books there's actually a really 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 interesting um almost documentary kind of thing where, hang on, let me look up her name. Where George and the actress that played Shay, um, Sybil Kekeli, Kekeli, I definitely said that wrong. Um, they essentially like, I'm not sure what to call it. It's kind of like a, kind of like a friend date where George shows her around, um, his now hometown. Wait, where does he live again? Georgia. I feel like an idiot when I look it up. Uh, he lives in uh, Santa Fe, and he shows her some some different spots he likes in the town, artists, um, his movie theater, and then they go back to the Martin Mansion. And in it, he has just row after row after row of all of his old toys and different character. 
different like fictional knights that he's painted or people have painted for him to look like the ones from his stories. And he just, he holds on to everything. So it kind of makes sense that if you're talking about what would George do with an abandoned plotline? Well, he would never actually get rid of it. He would keep it and reuse it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Wilson says, no wonder he gets distracted so much. <laughs> he's ever written. He has everything he's ever written. That second house. Um, probably since he got famous. N- no. Well, you, since he got famous. Yes. But before that, he wrote them while he was still a sci-fi TV writer, I think. Um, at least the first three. But yeah, it's like a giant distraction place. There's all sorts of... Actually, I talked about this in the Expanse uh, video that I did with um, with Ashea, where how the Expanse started as an RPG game that George played in. <laughs> oh yeah, Bernie says this is Matt's favorite thing, this interview. It's really good. You should try and find it on YouTube if you can. It's a really wild look into George's life and what whatever he's doing with uh, Sybil. <sighs> Sybil, whatever her name is. Especially when he's like showing her all of her nerd stuff and she's, and she's just like, oh, cool, George. <laughs> so, um... So that's the basic background for what the two theories are. It's Pretty Maris is Brienne of Tarth. Kago, the corpse killer, is Sandor. And the Sandor proof is, just to summarize it basically, is the, it's the corpse killer part and that he kills a butcher king. Sandor does actually kill a corpse. He kills, um, kills Beric Dondarrion when he's a fire white. So killing a corpse. He kills the butcher king. Sandor kills the butcher's boy. The, the idea of the hound and Kago sort of being very similar characters. It, but with Brienne, where George described it with age, he describes it between Sandor and Kago with um, essentially, I guess, their racial background, where Sandor's Westerosi and Kago is, I think, a Dothraki. Hang on. I'm going to double check that real fast. Chicago corpse killer. Yes, he's a Dothraki sellsword with a Valyrian steel Iraq. But he's he has almost the exact same scars. Um again, it's kind of like what if the hound never gave up his his quest for vengeance on um <laughs> if he never gave up his quest for Gregor's death. Or what if he actually did kill him and realized it didn't actually help him in any way where getting vengeance doesn't usually erase hurt. It's one of those things that people think feels great until they actually go through with it and it just ends up poisoning you more and more and more. So, um, one of the, one of the original comments I got on when I posted the, the theory on uh, a song of ice and fire subreddit about two years ago, um, my Maester Monthly um, and fellow mod, Admiral Kurd, brought up, well, what about Edric Dane? And this one is for you, San Rixian, because Edric Dane is one of those characters who's set up to have a really interesting spot in A Dance of Dragons going forward. He's the heir to Starfall. He's 
met Arya. He knows a story about John and um and his parentage. He knows the one that um <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of hearts. Hang on a second. Oh yeah, uh like, share, do all the things, post it on Twitter. Um Oh yes, uh Kyle Wilson says the mountain that rides. Yes, it's almost for certain that the um the mountain is a uh, undead too. So when Standor kills him, probably in the future, whether or not it happens in the show, he will again be a corpse killer. So that one kind of just works out. Um but yeah, Edric Dane, he's the heir to Starfall. He knows a f- probably a false story of John's uh parentage. And there's one thing that seems to be going on where George really wants to get Dawn out of Starfall for some reason. At the end of A Storm of Swords, the Brotherhood Without Banners is split. And one part has stayed with Lady Stoneheart, and they're the ones massacring. And the other part um, has gone south, including Edric Dane. And there's a good possibility that as the heir to Starfall, maybe he'll go home. Ah, uh, thank you, Bertie. She po- uh, she posted Sybil and George's night out. Yeah, it's a great interview. Um, and if you want to get Dane, if you want to get Dawn out of Starfall for the story, like he seems to really, really want to for some reason, um, uh, Edric is the or Edric is the perfect person to do it. Uh, especially with the stories that only people that are worthy of Dawn can take it or a member of House Dane. I don't know if it's like if it's like some sort of Lightbringer sword or if it's just that he wants it in the story. I mean, that part's all up for grabs. But if you talk about so you take Edric Dane, end of Storm of Swords, he's going south. He has the possibility to get Dawn. What happens after five years? Well, he's probably... Um, oh, he's the, Ned Dane is the heir to Starfall. Well, kind of the Lord. I think his father's alive. Hang on a second. Ned Dane. Yes, Ned Dane is the Lord of Starfall. I guess his father has died. Or he's the heir. One of the two. Whatever. (laughs) Oh, hey, 26 Art Girl. I'm wearing your shirt. The one you gave me at Con of Thrones. Hang on, let me overthink things, which I'm doing right now. Um, But he's basically a mercenary, and he's been through a guerrilla warfare ever since he's been a part of the Brotherhood Without Banners. It's unlikely to stop for him. He is a noble, but in order to get back to claim his noble life, kind of like Arya, um, it, it will take quite a lot, and it's unclear if he can even go back to it. So if you take a character like um, like Gerald Dane, who seems much more like the finished version of Edric, who's actually on his way to Starfall, it seems like, um, or he's on his way to High Hermitage, the cadet branch, but Obara Sand is on her way there along with Ario Hota. And it, both of those characters seem primed. Actually, it's one of my, one of my little pet theories that I think Ned and Darkstar will end up kind of meeting up and will they fight for dawn will gerald kill him it'd be kind of interesting kind of like um you know the thing from 
Back to the Future where Jennifer old and young see each other and they point and pass out. Is that what's going to be like when Ned and uh, Gerald meet each other? Um, but they really do fill important roles, both of them, but it seems like Gerald has more taken that over. We haven't really heard from Ned Dane ever since he disappeared into the Riverlands with the um, Brotherhood Without Banners, whereas Darkstar, much to some of the fandom's chagrin, I know that some of you love Darkstar and his broody, cool ways, but looking at you, Sanrick, Sam. Thurston for the dark boy, but um, <laughs> he has very much taken a much, he has taken a huge step forward in terms of character that seemed almost ready-made for Edric, especially because Edric is a little bit older than Arya, and five years later he would have been grown up. Um, and he's more or less a weird little kid at this point that kind of knows some stories about John. And the interesting part is that um, Darkstar seems like he's going to claim Dawn and then go run to Aegon and Arianne and try and be the new Sword of the Morning or maybe the Sword of the Evening, Sword of Night. That sounds like something Darkstar would do. He's so dramatic. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to defend Darkstar really fast, though, because... One of the reasons that he sounds ridiculous is because of when he's talking to Marcella and he says, I am of the night and he's like trying to look cool. It's because he's showing off to like a 12 year old. You know, it, she's she's basically a preteen and he's just trying to sound cool or impress her. And it's not really kind of what he's like. But it's one of those things where George needs to show that and tell us yet tell us less because <laughs> it kind of backfires because while he's doing all this um showboating for Marcella, Ariane is in the background thinking like he's the most dangerous man in Dorne and like literally almost fanning herself because she's so thirsty for him but he hasn't done anything on screen yet that will that justifies what he, this reputation he seems to have as such a dangerous person in Dorne. Um, I speculate in the past that maybe one thing he'll do is that he'll go to the water gardens and kill a bunch of kids. Um, he seems to be really into there's no such thing as bad press. <laughs> and going down to the water gardens and killing a bunch of noble, innocent kids would certainly make a name for him in Westeros. He would be infamous the world over. Which is also sad, because when you think about these five-year gap characters, I don't want Nadine to become Darkstar. Like, that's a... That's a very bleak future for a character that I had, um... I liked on first read, and go back and reading it through, he's... He's a noble, honest, kind of hopeful young man that's slowly having that drained out of him until he ends up some but something like Darkstar. And that's horrible. The same for Brienne. It's sort of the same transition where going from Brienne to Maris is an unbelievably harsh turn. <laughs> uh, let's check up on the chat real fast. Uh, Don Ward 
Uh, first live stream thought, how's it going? Yeah, I usually do them at random times. I might do them more on Saturdays more often, especially while all this is going on. Um, maybe like weekly live streams or something like that. Um, <laughs> Courtney Maza likes my shirt. Um, yeah, overthinking things is that's what's up. Arnhem <laughs> says, who isn't Ariane thirsty for? Well, she's quite parched in the desert, I'll say. The water gardens, not enough water in the water gardens for Ariane Martel, that's what I'll say. Um, Meredith says, first time I read Dark Star, I was like, ah, oh, he is pretty. And then he gave his I am of the night speech and bro, your edgelord is showing... I I maintain that George is bad at writing like characters are supposed to be intimidating. He's gotten like one right and it's Euron. But even then he kind of like undercuts it with his ridiculous naked in front of um in front of Victorian thing and kind of his weird way he talks sometimes. But that's probably the closest he's got to a character that you are adequately terrified of him, mostly because Euron has done the things on the screen um, that he wants you to be afraid of. Darkstar is missing that background. And in some ways, that kind of happens with Dario a bit too, where it's a character who's a lot of talk without always backing it up. But there's sort of a similarity there between Danny and Ariane's per- perception of their edgelords, basically. <laughs> Josh Davis says the Annika move. Yeah, exactly. Just starts killing all the uh, all the younglings, and then he becomes Darth Gerald. <gasps> Wonder if he'll wear a mask. That'd be funny. <clears throat> uh, Patrick James asks, "Will Gerald kill Ario and Obara?" Ario Hota is definitely one of those characters who is not going to survive very long. All throughout his POV, he's actually very similar to Ari's Okart in that there's a sense of doom around him that as kind of a guardsman and as a martial character, he knows that his life will end when Doran's schemes run out. Um, so he's also... He's only really serving the purpose of showing us some of these Dornish plots that are happening when Ariane's and Quentin aren't around. And as they move, well, Quentin's dead. So as they move back towards Ariane, and we know there are Ariane chapters in the Winds of Winter, Ario is far less necessary as a POV. And that's one of those ways you can sort of tell when a character, like their days are numbered, when... There's more than one POV there. George usually tends to get rid of the second one. And actually from um, from Reddit, when I originally posted this, um, I think this is from Reddit, yeah, it looks like it. Um, user HL says, In Feast for Crows, Arya, Arya Hota acknowledges that these sort of character connections exist. And the quote is, The White Knight, the captain frowned. Sir Ares had come to Dorne to attend his own princess, as Ario Hota had come once with his, even their names sounded oddly alike, Ario and Eris. Yeah, kinda. And it goes on where Ario goes like, no, 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 wait, I'm nothing like Eris. I, 
I'm part of the bearded priest or whatever, and we're nothing alike, but really, yeah, they are very, very similar. Aris is, was doomed, and so is Arya. Uh, let's see here. Natalie Smith says, Ario's basically already dead. Yeah, he's, uh, he's one of those Mark characters. As the storyline starts converging, as he has to finish, actually, the books, then that's one of those where, easy one to cut. Uh, I'm sure it will be brutal, and I'm sure it will be heartbreaking. Just like, um... Aris's was in a way. Um, but yeah. He is marked for death, as are a lot of the Dornish characters. Uh, Nuncle Joe says, I'm not a big fan of Ariane. She doesn't make good decisions. When you think her character is growing, she supports a doomed cause. I actually really like that aspect of Ariane is because she's really kept in the dark on purpose by Duran as he's trying to control the um, Dorn in the wake of Oberon's death with the Sand Snakes and how she seems to be able to manipulate them or wants to use them in a way that Durand doesn't. And it's kind of like this weird shadow war between father and daughter. And even what happened where she doesn't even know what happened to Quentin until she ends up talking to spies and that sort of thing. Um, it's really interesting in that way where the person that should be her compatriot, and that's one of the things Aryan complains about, is like, let me into the schemes, Doran. Like, I can help you. I can be a piece to your puzzle. And Doran's like, you're not good enough. That that kind of hurts her. And it's really interesting seeing what somebody just totally left on their own without any support because her mother's gone, and Doran's basically ignoring her existence. What is she supposed to do as somebody who's trying to, you know, do sort of a Dornish restoration into the larger world, knowing that she is in a position to do so? If Durana could only help. Oh, may have punched that right there. Oh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, um, one of the characters that I thought might have been the Tattered Prince, but I kind of let go, was I thought Quentin... And the Tattered Prince might have been similar characters, or the Tattered Prince was Quentin in the future. Like, if he had not, if he had just failed, but not ended up dead at, at um, the Hand of the Dragons, or the Jaws of the Dragons, I guess. Especially because George really enjoys having some of these characters interact. He seems to take a little bit of perverse delight in kind of spiraling them around him. If the Tattered Prince and Quentin were the same person, um... And it's like the old version talking to the young version. That happens quite a lot with John too. Um, that's a very similar, like uh, when Eamon's talking to John, they're sort of um, the same person at different points in their in their life in a certain in a kind of way. But it doesn't re it doesn't really work. There's not much between Quentin and um, and Pentos. Um, the claiming of the dragons, I guess, is a little bit of a similar thing, but there's a lot of people that want to, want to claim dragons. 
and it'd be actually kind of funny if Quentin for five years failed at getting a dragon and then ended up becoming a feared um, mercenary company person, kind of like Oberyn. But I don't know. There were parts of it didn't work well enough for me to really think about too hard. But that's one of those things that's really interesting about the five-year gap is so much of it seems to be focused around the Dornish plot. And I just went back through quickly before the stream and I was looking at when these characters first showed up. And there's not much mention of the Sand Snakes before the five-year gap. Uh, Quentin kind of exists. One of the weirdest things that I, that I saw is that Quentin was one of the people that was suggested to marry Cersei Lannister. <laughs> Wow, would that have been something else? Quentin the Frog with his wife Cersei. She would have just killed him so fast. Um, but Ariane really comes into her own. The Snansakes come into her own. Arya Hota, Ares Oakheart. Um, like a lot of these characters technically existed, but they weren't POV characters. They weren't major parts of the plot. And all of a sudden they are. And it seems to be that George was trying to think of a way to bring them in and really could not, could not find a way to do it. Um, the Brotherhood Without Banners also is a very strong influence, I think, on the Windblown um, because they share they share quite a lot in terms of what their role is in the story, where they're kind of like these underworld X factors that have their own, that they're like standing between the great powers that they all have to go through. Like Danny and the slavers have to deal with the wind blown either though, even though neither of them are happy about it. And the brotherhood without banners is, not loyal to the Starks, nor are they loyal to the um to the Lannisters or any of the five kings. They have their own um they have their own agendas they're pushing, especially after Lady Stoneheart comes back from the dead. Um just one of them that I'm not sure if I'm going to make this a theory. Um but one of the main ones was one of the Tattered Prince's captains was the man Denzo Dahan, the warrior bard, a Tattered Prince's left hand, which if you think about, if you got kind of to transpose that role back into Brother Without Banners, that sounds a lot like Tom 07. Maybe if he had um, become a little bit more serious, serious in his, uh, his role within the Brotherhood after five years, especially the musical aspect. I thought that was really, I don't think that's enough for like a whole video. But Denzo and Tom 07 seem like interesting characters, especially because uh, Denzo is sort of an aged character, uh, while Tom is still relatively young, but he's aging. At a certain point, his, uh, his charms are going to start working on, stop working on the lady folk, and you'd end up with somebody like Denzo Dahan, who is musical and still an effective member of the group, but not quite the lady killer he was when he was younger. Oh, um, let's see here. Barrel Rider. They, I think they asked this question a couple times. 
So how do you think they're going to get out of Lady Stoneheart's cave? Um, that, that's, that's a good question. Um, it seems likely to me that that Brianna is going to try and find a way to um, to free Podrick and not get Jamie killed. Because at some level, they still do care for each other. And it's not really in Brienne's what in Brienne's character to hand over somebody um, like that, especially after seeing what Lady Stoneheart has become. Um, I would imagine that there's going to be some sort of actually, maybe there's some sort of like um, signal or some sort of plan they work out ahead of time. Because Brienne, when we see her and Jamie interact, is that she kind of lures Jamie to the cave, but. There's plenty of time in between to work out what they're going to do. Um, I imagine a lot of the Brotherhood will die in that encounter. Uh, Brienne is still a formidable warrior despite her wounds. Jamie, not so much, but there's also been hints that there are quite a lot of the Brotherhood that are, st- that are increasingly unhappy with Lady Stoneheart's style of vengeance. Um... Uh, Kyle Wilson asked, can I explain the five-year gap thing? Uh, so, very quickly, at the end of Storm of Swords, George wanted to move the narrative forward five years. So, you would just skip five years worth of time for everybody and pick back up there. And a large, large part of it was he wanted to give um, his characters who were going through basically like training montages, like Bran, Arya, John, Sansa, Danny, and he wanted to move them to their end state where he he thought there were more interesting things he could do with those characters. Like John as a fully developed Lord Commander on the wall. Arya as an as a full assassin, a faceless man. Bran with much more of his powers in, under his control. Um, but it didn't that five years forward didn't work for a lot of his characters. So George ended up scrapping the idea. And for many of the characters still in their montages. He ended up just sort of playing with the idea of power they don't quite understand as being the tool he used um, for furthering those plots. Um, so yeah, Denzo, I talked about Denzo Dehan as Tom 07. That one seems to make a lot of sense. It's really interesting when you go through a lot of these characters where I'm sure there's some connection between them, um, just like there was with Maris and Kago, um, that I haven't quite cracked yet, but there's, there's got to be something linking them back to a five-year gap character. It's just, it's kind of hard to track them down, especially for a lot of the minor ones. Like, who's ever heard of Sir Orson Stone, or Will O' the Woods, or Sir Lucifer Long? These are very, very minor people. Um, So I'm sure there are connections, there are different versions of the minor characters that George was smirking to himself as he wrote. But I do not know all of them. Uh, Kraken Tacos asks, did Brienne die while hanging? Is she a white of her lord? No. Uh, Lady Stoneheart put it to her to say, um, 
to say it was sword or something else to indicate whether or not she would help them trap Jamie Lannister or not. And when Brienne was watching Podrick hang and start to die, it's heavily implied, especially because you see her later, that she said the she said sword and that she would help out. I think it was noose or sword. She would help the Brotherhood trap and kill Jamie. Um, but it's one of those, just on sort of like a meta level, if you're talking about five-year gap in writing and how he thinks of it, that's a pretty, for, for a book series that's been largely very quick and sequential, the idea that he wanted to move his characters forward five years, all of them, and, and skip all that time in between, um, kind of tells you one of the reasons that people really enjoy him as an author because that's a pretty audacious plan like i think between a game of thrones and a storm of swords like maybe a year or two have passed maybe less it's really not that much they have not aged much uh it's one of those things that's kind of funny because the the show ran for so long that the that the kids actually ended up growing up but if you compare them to where they are in the books they are mostly still little kids bran is still a little kid uh, so is Arya. John is like I still like think like fifteen or sixteen, and he's running the Night's Watch, which is I can see. Well, there's a running thing about the boy lords and how they end up dooming houses, and in a way, the Night's Watch is kind of a house that's being doomed by a boy lord, at least in the in the way some of the Night's Watchmen think. Uh, Aaron M says, I think the abandoned five-year gap is the reason the Winds of Winter is taking so long. He had plans for Arya especially that are pretty creepy if she's five years younger. Actually, that's one of those things where he released a sample chapter where Arya was um, like trying to seduce a character, um, one of her uh, targets for assassination, and it appears that he forgot to go back and change that part because she's still like an 11-year-old trying to seduce a man. Uh, a full-grown man, and that's kind of creepy. George, please change that. Don't make that a thing. Um, that was one of the parts of Game of Thrones I did not enjoy. When it was, um, they decided that Marin Trant was a, uh, was a pedophile. That was unpleasant, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Well, let's grab another one another uh, comment I got from the old reddit post this is actually one of those one of the comments that really got me thinking about like more of the structurally and why you would do this and it was user not gonna say that username it says uh, they say once you pointed out the connection is too strong to ignore becoming a member of Daenerys's Queen's Guard would be a pleasant if not that cliche end Brienne's story arc. Maris could have been a tool that Gurm planned on using to transition Brienne from Jaime Starks to Targaryen in the endgame. By the way of the quest to find Arya, which he pointed out, that would obviously lead to an awesome convo between Danny and Brienne and Maris about the Valor 
of the Kingslayer. Now we'll have to see what ends up happening to Brienne. This links with Maris could hint that Gurren plans for her story to intertwine with Danny and Tyrion in the future. And that's really true. That's one of those collision points where Danny interacting with the Windbloom being so many of them are kind of um or Westerosi clones. It's kind of like it's almost like the pregame to when La- when Danny lands in Westeros. How are people going to react? How are the those in power going to react? Well, we have an example already with a company of Westerosi sellswords um, who are already trying to use Danny, who are already trying to steal her dragons, who are undermining her, who are going, who are pledging their support and then changing their cloaks pretty instantly. Um, and especially ha- that Tyrion has not been introduced to Danny yet. And there's going to be some linking between the Lannisters and Daenerys, it seems obvious. Even if the show isn't correct about how that ends up happening, Tyrion and Danny seem on a collision course. So that would be... That's going to be an interesting thing to go forward. Um, like, how does Brienne fit into this? How does Sandor fit into all this? That's one of those problems that the show really had to deal with and to varying success they had to integrate where danny was going with the existing plot lines they already had it's like wait how is Arya going to interact with danny like if there has to be some sort of solidifying event or some some go-betweens to make these plots work because nobody's going to know her and somebody like maris or the or these westerosi um swords like Brown, Ben, Plum, um, are very likely to be how Daenerys is introduced to Westeros. It's not likely going to be um, just the Field of Fire. Especially because the um, the Golden Company will be going in front of her with Aegon. And that's one of those parts that's really interesting when you think about a five-year gap consideration. Um, how Aegon exists. Um, it appears it, it's, I, <sighs> Aegon is a funny, funny part of this story considering where he's going. When did George make him up? How does he fit into Daenerys, Daenerys's story? How does he fit into her story in a five year gap sense? Because much like, um, like Edric Dane, he's in the teen world. And when, if you if you conceive of him, would he still be the same age in a five year gap since he wasn't really introduced yet, or would he be an older version? Would he be more in control of the Golden Company? Would he have his own um, his own sellsword company? And the interactions between them, these uh, powerful characters circling around Danny and all of them trying to take her dragons, is very interesting. Uh, Aaron M says, can you elaborate on that a little more? You think Danny's is going to feel to fire it, but she's going to, well, Fagon is, or Aegon is coming in front of her as he has already landed. He has apparently taken storms and he's the reintroduction of the Targaryens into Westeros. And 
So it's not going to be just Danny showing up with a bunch of ships. Not only is she having to deal with, um, having to deal with nobody in the Seven Kingdoms knowing her personally, she's going to be the second Targaryen in while the other one's already conquering. And somebody's going to have to speak for her. Uh, a lot of people assume it will be Tyrion like they did in the show, which makes a lot of sense. Although Tyrion has burned a lot more bridges in the books than he has in the show at this point. He's, it's going to be really hard for um, him to be any sort of connection. Whereas characters like um, those in the Windblown, a lot of these Westerosi um, sellswords that have, ever, that have gone to Essos, maybe not them exactly, but those kind of characters, much like the, the, Black, like the Golden Company is for the Blackfires, these connections back to start her own um, entrance into the public consciousness. If that makes sense. Like, um, it, it does no good for Danny to burn people if to just burn down armies or start burning cities if she doesn't introduce herself. Like, that was a big part of Aegon the Conqueror's um conquest is that he made it known who he was before he started conquering and um he made sure that when he did something incredible everyone knew it was him she needs that kind of um pr i guess in order to be effective uncle joe says uh daniel benefit from uh fagon's failure definitely um He's going to, I think the interaction between Aegon and Cersei is going to be very, very interesting, especially because how much she's obsessed with Rhaegar. That's going to, I wrote a, a post about that. Um, maybe I'll make that into a video too. <clears throat> Lady Leaf Underhill says in the very beginning, George meant for several months to pass between each POV. So he started with the kids young and that didn't unfold, when that didn't unfold that way, he planned the gap. Yes. It was also supposed to be a trilogy, and um, that was supposed. It was supposed to wrap up relatively quickly. It did not end up happening that way, and he's sort of been dealing with the consequences of um, abandoning his plans as the story has moved along, which. In some way, like he calls it his gardener style, but if you look at stories, um, well, <laughs> stories like The Expanse, where they've largely planned it out ahead of time, there's there's a reason they come out so quick. They're writing to an outline rather than making it up. Although the gardener style or George's um, ability to abandon his previous ideas and retcon to them is one of his strengths and one of the things we really love about him. Um, let's see here. Oh, thank you for dropping those links, Chrissy. Um, there's Patreon links as always. Um, you can go to Patreon where you can get access to content ahead of time. Um, Patreon excuses episodes for the expanse. I tried out something a little different going with the Shea where I released a shortened version on YouTube and then I gave the, the longer version with extra content that I didn't think would 
uh, work very well in a YouTube video, and but I thought it was really interesting, so I packaged that as a patron-only thing. So um, some people seem to enjoy that. Maybe I'll do that more in the future. Like maybe I'll, um, I started reading the Witcher books. Maybe I'll do something like that too. Like why well, Game of Thrones fans should watch the Witcher. Um, Um, what else is on Patreon? Oh yeah, uh, Patreon's also got access to the outline. Well, it's kind of a brief out outline. This is more of a, um, free-flowing conversation kind of thing. I didn't plan it out very much. Um, sort of taking questions, talking about those theories, where George is going in the Winds of Winter, um, how these characters all fit into it. Um, yeah, patreon.com slash Joe Magician. Uh, no, Joe asks, where do I think Danny's going to land? Um, that is a good question. Dragonstone makes the most sense. Um, with the dragons landing on Dragonstone and trying to emulate Aegon the Conqueror as much as she can. It's probably a, is a very good idea for her, um, but it, especially with her her chapters at the end of A Dance with Dragons, where she seems to be going away from her Misa figure, her um, her Khaleesi figure, and parts of her are really being pushed externally, internally towards fire and blood, and and um, dragons plant no trees, and all these other kind of things where it's a fundamental part of her character where she struggles with. Uh, actually, I talked about this in a Twitter thread, um, uh, having to do with Davos's fingers. They were, they're doing their, um, a song of madness tournament. And one of them was, um, I was arguing for why Alisane was so great versus Jaharis. And it's kind of those two characters, those two sides where you have the person that's trying to rule through politics and helping out the common good of, of the people around her, using marriages and being being intelligent as your tools to power. Whereas when you look at um, when you look at um, Jaharis, he's very much the opposite. Where he often did not he let Alisane take care of most of that, while he was the fire and blood character. He was the one. That personally killed the Vulture King with his sword. He's the one that threatens Rogar Baratheon with his dragon. And it's those two parts of Danny's personality that are in clash so often, where she really does want the simple life. She is a good person, but she has these tools for war. And how can she make changes when everything's unraveling around her like it does in Marine? Oh hey Alicia Kenson. Uh how's it going? Oh Sandrix, you know we're just talking about Dark Star and showed up. <laughs> of course she did. Someone somewhere. Like I wonder if if you did you just like suddenly feel very parched? Like you needed a glass of water, like somebody's talking about Dark Star. <laughs> you miss a lot of dark star chat um 
been going for about like, like an hour. Maybe I go for like 20, 30 minutes more. My voice is not doing so hot at the moment. Um, hoping I'm not sick. That would suck. Um, hey, a bunch of people just showed up. Hey, how's it going, everybody? That was a loud noise. Oh, did I intrude on somebody else's stream time? Um, a lot of people just showed up all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, apparently human. Um, Tad Dawson, 68. Um, Mara Jade Skywalker, good name. If only they had put Marjid in, that would have been great. How's it going, everybody? Um, this actually leads into interesting what I'm going to be one of my next videos. The next one up is I made a little Twitter thread a little while ago talking about Arya and the faceless coin. And I, I, I really like talking about that. And so does George, the idea of totems and the idea of what is your person at? Who are you when you lose your identity? And how that little coin sort of symbolizes it in kind of a um what what's the what's that movie? Inception kind of way. Um and then after that, there's been an idea I've been sitting on for a while that uh Brendan B. Fish teased me about that I've been it's been on the back burner. Um we're basically how it seems pretty clear that Aegon has taken Storm's End with the Winds of Winter sample chapter. So how did he do it? Uh, how did he actually go about taking the one castle that nobody can take? How did he pull it off? Um, I have some ideas that actually, and it actually came from Fire and Blood, um, which made me chuckle when I thought about it. I'm like, this is the perfect method for how you would take Storm's End. And it kind of shows that George has probably been really thinking about it in terms of um, how he's going to how he's going to have Aegon actually go through and take Storm's End, the impregnable castle that even keeps out magic, apparently, with shadow babies, unless you slip underneath it. Uh, Chris Fine says, I was saying it's better because Jaehaerys had to take the role of aggression. Um it's it i think it's less because that he had to it's that, that they're different styles of rule jaharis um studied it's noted that in the in fire and blood that he studied aegon the conqueror and what he was like as a ruler and his strategies for enforcing his rule and that's what he based himself on alisane um seems much more i guess in a rainy's role um the original rainy's targaryen um but you see it more often with the characters like Baylor Breakspear. You see it with um, Aegon the Unlikely. It's the style of Targaryen ruler who is trying not to lean so hard on military might, but rather quality leadership as the way through. Uh, Sleeko Duck. I hope I'm not sick either because I work in healthcare, so that would suck for me. Um, 
although I'm working from home these days. Um, everyone in my department got sent home. So, hopefully isolation will work. That's the whole point of the stream, social isolation. Staying away from the coronavirus. Sorry for real life to intrude, but um, that is kind of... the point of this i'll be making more stuff too because it's nothing much else to do other than play crusader kings of course um let's see here uh michael williams asks how long has this been streaming been going for like an hour or so um there was some problems at the beginning where the stream key wasn't worth it. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. I ended up getting it there, but it was like 10 minutes late. Um, oh, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, JMRA says the spear and the shield, the glove and the gauntlet. Exactly. I prefer the, uh, the shield and the, the glove, I guess, than the spear and the gauntlet in terms of the kind of characters I enjoy reading and the, the ones that I value. I mean, it's just um, personal preference, really. I'm not saying anybody's wrong for enjoying the fire and blood style of Targaryen rule, and it's just what I tend to enjoy more. The mug of noise. Oh, uh, yeah, it's getting a little empty, so I guess I'm kind of slurping. Sorry about that. <laughs> Aaron says physical isolation, not social isolation. Yeah, that's true. Um, the original outline for Game of Thrones, because this is coming up, the, uh, the original trilogy was, it was supposed to basically go War of the Five Kings, um, Catelyn and her children go beyond the wall, Catelyn dies. Um, and then there essentially ends up being a love triangle between John, Sansa, and Arya, and Tyrion's involved somehow, and John kind of ends up, that the exact ending's a little fuzzy, um, but the, there's a letter, there's a pitch letter when George gave out the, um, when he was trying to sell the original series, and it essentially speed runs through the story as it is. Um, especially the idea that this is something Nauticast pointed out. If you want to go back and read the, or listen to the early episodes, they noticed this with Catelyn's early chapters, where there's tons of foreshadowing that Catelyn's going to end up dying beyond the wall and probably be brought back to life as a Stoneheart, which George later adapted into this Lady Stoneheart we know. But it's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense when you look at where she is now that he kind of had to very cleverly retcon. That's one of those things I've been saying for a while that really one of George's strengths as a writer is that he's very able to change direction, but cover it up so you don't even notice so that it feels natural all the time. And it can't be because he's changed, he's changed his path so often. Um, That it can't possibly be um, all the same thing. Oh, hey, Aziz. How's it going, buddy? Well, Aziz or Mashaya, probably Aziz. Um, 
Aziz has been playing um, his Crusader Kings character. If you're interested in Targaryens, he's uh, he started up. Uh, I think it's Emperor Aziz at this point with like 15 children pulling his Walter uh, Frey impression. He's taken most of Westeros at this point with no dragons. He started in a timeline with no dragons, which makes it even harder. Like conquering Westeros with a dragon rider is super easy. Conquering it. Um, I think he started War of the Five Kings. Really hard to do. The Targaryens are really depowered at that point. Which kind of makes sense why they fell apart. <clears throat> anyway, Aziz is responsible for getting me to start playing Crusader Kings too. I've got two games going at the moment. Um, I've got one where I'm playing as the Starks. I started just with Winterfell, and I've conquered beyond the Wall, the North, the Riverlands, the Westerlands, and the Vale. Crowned myself um, King of the Seven Kingdoms. Ended up with a dragon. This this happened over like four or five rulers. So, but my latest one has a dragon at this point. So a Stark with a dragon that works out. And the one I started um, yesterday, um, just for fun, was I made myself Duncan the Tall, but with land, and then tried to see how a conquest with Dunk would go. The answer was really well. <laughs> really well. Um, let's grab another question or another comment from the chat. Um... Do you think Aaron M asked, do you think of Dragonstone will be empty when Danny lands there or will someone else get it after Stannis inevitably eats it? Um, there will probably just be a few guardsmen hanging around. Dragonstone without the dragons is a much like Stannis says a useless island. Unless you're a Targaryen, unless you have dragons, it's a smoking hunk of rock that nobody gives a crap about. So I would be surprised if anyone took it. It doesn't even have like, um, <clears throat> notoriety associated with anymore. Nobody really cares about Dragonstone. Uh, <laughs> Michael Brooks, Dunk of Oldstone. That's right. I started with Seaguard and then I colonized Oldstones. So I'm going full um, <laughs> of essentially this mug with Dunk being a strong and suggesting that the Old Stones may have been the Strong's original home. I have made that into a video game. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Dunk's really well, my dunk is really good at conquering. Um uh, Justin Curl says, any thoughts on what Gurm? May have meant by Danny surviving Drogo's pyre being miraculous. I think it's that um, the miraculous part is that she did not die in the flames. It's one of those things the show has played up um, that Targaryens are fireproof. If anything, they're just more comfortable with heat. Like Danny walks out of that pyre, her hair is burned off. She's bald for quite a while. Uh, she has arm, she has burns on her arm that end up having to heal. Um, so that she survived and also that she hatched the dragons was probably a miracle in the sense that hatching dragons used to be a known thing. Clearly the Valyrians had it on lock 
how to mass produce dragons as they used it to conquer the world. So somewhere that knowledge was lost and Danny seems to have accidentally or miraculously stumbled upon it in a way that probably should have killed her, but did not. I would say that's the, the miracle there. Um, <laughs> people are asking about Dunk the Conqueror, uh, Mexican Sasquatches. Does Dunk just challenge everyone to single combat? Uh, no, but he's such, because of the way the stats work in Crusader Kings too. um, if you put him in the center of an army, he's just incredible. There's actually, I may end up putting these up as videos or something, maybe a separate channel. I don't know. Cause I've been really enjoying it. But I was facing down a 20,000 person army with an 80 with an 8,000 person army and the attackers were crossing a river and I had dunk in the center with two of my commanders on either side and they ended up winning the battle, killing 15,000 men while losing a thousand just because dunk is incredible. <laughs> um... But yeah, the, uh, the role of the five-year gap with Danny and especially Aegon is something that I'm really interested in. Like, what? Do, so let's take Danny at the end of a Storm of Swords. Um, let's see here, Daenerys Targaryen. Have to go through the articles of people breathlessly talking about her. Just kidding. So it starts with Danny. Uh, I mean, it ends. A Storm of Swords ends with Danny taking Marine, um, nailing the great masters on the posts. Barrison has shown up. So it's sort of a situation you have with Cersei, where the meat of what you, the story you want to tell about where she is five years later is skipped. Um, I think there's good criticism of the Miranese knot, which Ashea has uh, named herself after. Um, in terms of, it doesn't really seem like it's going anywhere. It just seems like political morass gone awry and it's kind of hard to read, especially for people that are used to, um, well, not just people for readers that are used to seeing Danny with this upwards trajectory and said, she's just stalled out. Um, but her learning to be a ruler and how to deal with a foreign population, which is what Westeros will be for her. like. At this point, she has she doesn't know Westeros except in the story. She doesn't know the people. She will essentially be a foreigner, just like um, the Targaryens were when they initially landed, because they had sort of an isolation thing going. Um, but what if you if you've ever decided Aegon exists? What is he doing for five years? What is Varys and Lyrio doing for five years? Are they helping Volantis? Are they? Are they, how are they using the Golden Company? These are all interesting questions, but they kind of undercut the fact that you don't want to skip the part where Danny has to learn to become an effective ruler or fails at being one. It's, it's kind of hard to say how she's not, I would give her not great as a great Marine <laughs> overall. She's doing, well, she's trying really hard not to burn down that city. I'll say that.
I'm enjoying that people are calling Dunk a himbo. It's absolutely true. <laughs> um, just <laughs> picturing a conveyor belt with dragon eggs. Well, I mean, that's half a joke, but the, the Valyrians did manage to essentially industrialize magic where they had created the slave trade in order to support it. They had their fire mages. They had their, they had a stable society built around turning magic and dragons and blood mat and um, all these, the hard to control ideas and forging them into an empire. So in a sense, that's right. They had, it's one of those things that George loves writing about in his other stories where sometimes authors get carried away with sort of what I like to call fantasy or sci-fi woo, where the thing exists just because it's cool, but not really thinking through how it would actually be used in a real society. And the Valyrian empire seems to be a logical end state, I guess, to what happens with fire wizards. Industrialization of of fire magic, blood magic, dragons in order to support their society. I guess we're turning this into a dunk chat. I am totally fine with turning this into dunk chat. Um, yeah, Dunk's father, he thinks for some reason that his father got sent to the wall. It's unclear if he's thinking of Lucamore, the lusty. Um, or if he's thinking about, um, if it's something that George placed and then uh, didn't really have the timing right for where these characters existed and where Lucamore was in their relation to each other, or if he actually does know his father's at the Night Watch. It seems to be there's some sort of pull from the North for Dunk. Like he wants to go to Winterfell throughout a couple of his stories. He wants to go to the Wall. And it seems to be almost like dragon dreamish in a way where something else wants him to be there too. And he's kind of being forced there by destiny, especially since he ends up leaving uh, kids in the North. Or so we think it seems that um, characters like small Paul and Hodor are probably descendants of his kids. His, uh, his bastards that he left while he was up there being a, Dunk the himbo, as the kids say. Um, probably just a little bit longer. Um, wow, this this discussion has strayed quite the far from Brienne the Broody, Pretty Maris, and the Windblown. Um, so try and go back to that a little, I guess, a little bit, and then um, I guess we'll just we'll wrap up and I'll go get some sleep because I have to work tomorrow too. I didn't sleep much. You don't need to know that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and Uncle Joe says, anyone read seven times, never kill men. I have read um, almost all of George's short stories. I haven't read all of his other novels. I own um, a few of them, but I haven't got to it. I've got a big backlog of books, but you can read um, dream songs. Hang on a second. <laughs> I got my dragon out.
so George produced two volume short story collections called Dream Songs, where it's a, he does he prints it presents it sort of as his life through his short stories. They're roughly chronological in some cases, sometimes not. But he he writes in between them, saying what the inspiration for them was, why he wrote them, how he thinks about them now. Um, really interesting. Highly recommend going back and reading them. You'll end up seeing a lot of uh, repeating patterns in his work, repeating plots, characters. Like he's been writing about characters named Barristan the Bold since he was a teenager. He just loves that guy for some reason, which is interesting that he's made him suck in a song of ice and fire, and that he's gonna die terribly. Um, I haven't read it for a while though. Really interesting stuff in there, especially like um. The glass flowers in there that'll be a part of the my next video super interesting uh aziz asked what character from the duncan egg era are you hoping to see most in one of their stories um whew, that is a good good question um so where where did they stop they stopped at the third blackfire rebellion i think or the second, uh, second Black Eye Rebellion, I think, with um at White Walls. So Dunk still has to go north. He still has to end up on Tarth somehow, or in the Crownlands again. Um, I would really like to see, I think, from this timeline, um, I'm hoping they somehow go back around to seeing Aemon, where it's said that Dunk meets him at one point when um, Egg says that he has him measured, but during Dunk's lifetime, um, Aemon ends up the maester for Daron the Drunkard, and his personal maester, uh, I think he was granted Summer Hall? Not um, not Dragonstone, or he had both, but he chose to live at Summerhall most of the time. And Dunk seeing Daron the Drunkard again, and especially Aemon in his prime, would be super, super interesting, especially as all these little bits of destiny seem to be wrapping up around Dunk and Egg. And, um, and really, we see Aemon after sort of his fire has gone out. We see him um, after his failures with... Um, Specifically with Summerhall and his failures with um, investigating magic and prophecy and sort of dooming his family twice. What did he look like when he was still young and passionate? Um, there's certainly ways that you could integrate him back in, especially if during Duncan Egg it goes, if it ends at Summerhall. Um, it'd be, I hope we get those stories. I would really love to see that. Young Eamon is. A fascinating character, I think. Ah, <clears throat> uh, yes, people are saying Brienne is one of Dunk's descendants. I was talking about more northern characters, but yes, you're right. Um, oh, Kathy Dahad says uh, Hodor is a descendant of Jason, the bastard Stark daughter of Sarah Snow. Jace is a strong. I did like that idea from Gray Area too. Um, it's always funny to see people take one theory and build on it. Not funny, uh, I think it's the wrong word. It's more, um, 
it's kind of like watching watching your kids go it's like you put this thing out in the community and see how people react to it and build on it or disagree with it and how that helps them um reform their ideas i always find that really interesting Volume one is meh. I I enjoyed all of uh, Dream Songs. It, they were at least informative, even if they weren't always greatly written. He got a lot better. Uh, Dying of the Light. That's one of the books I own that I have not gotten to. Um, I'm really interested to see that. I also have Fever Dream. Um, I don't have Armageddon Rag. I want to pick that up. When George Stone his um, Grateful Dead st- stage, I guess, in his writing before he decided, I'm all about medieval fantasy. <laughs> King Killer, Kyle Wilson sees he's going to read King Killer Chronicles during isolation period. Um, I recently went and read. I, I did read the first two books and I enjoyed them though in different ways. Um, they're very different books. I went and read the um, the novella, the God, what is, what is it called? The Slow Regard of Silent Things, I think, the one from Ari's perspective. Um, very different book. I'm interested to see where Doors of Stone goes. Um, I've thought about, well, that show seems to be stuck on hold, and who knows when Doors of Stone are going to come out, so I've thought about covering it, but maybe once we get closer to hype being built around it, that'd be something. Um... Uh, Josh Davis says he likes the theory of Starks and Strongs, the same feeling that moved north over time. Thank you. I enjoy that one too. It's one of the basically that's a fire and blood theory. <laughs> a lot of stuff came in fire and blood. George um, really wanted to amp up certain families, and one of them was the Strongs, and especially in a in a in a in a, um, a book where he kind of pushed the Starks to the background. In their place, he put the Strongs, and that was one of those things when, um, one of the things that really clicked for me, I'm like, I'm reading these guys, and they just seem like the Starks, and then they meet, and they essentially high-five each other, and it's like, oh, this is what you're doing. Okay. I see what you're up to, George. Can't stop writing about First Men. There was also that interview that I posted in the, um, the original video, where he named ancient First Men houses, and he was like, Stark, mud strong. I was like, <laughs> well, the problem with covering King Curler is, um, uh, Kyle Wilson and uh, John Taylor are talking about King Killer Chronicles. The mysteries are so, I don't, making a coherent theory out of them would be real tough. I don't think there's enough clues there. Or I'm not even sure if Rothfuss has decided um, what the answers are to his things. I mean, to his um, to his story and his the way everything fits together. It seems very germ like where he's kind of thrown a lot of stuff at the wall that can be 
interpreted in a lot of different ways. And he's deciding, and it's probably what's taking him partly so long, is he's trying to pick among the different possibilities he's given himself, which one will be how he writes his story after he got famous, which is very tough for authors, apparently. <clears throat> hey, Nessie, how's it going? Nessie, the Quest and Beast showing up. Uh, Jay Moray says, I feel like the cover-up of Araya and Gale's deaths happened for other cards like uh, Darren the Drunkard, definitely. Um, there's a lot of hype when Fire and Blood came out where everyone was trying to theorycraft if Gale, the Winter Child, could be a bastard child of the Lord of Winterfell, but the timelines ended up working, unfortunately. But all of it was right there, um, especially down to how similar she seemed to be from the uh, character from the Ice Dragon. Uh, one of George's um, novellas about fire dragons and ice dragons fighting each other, which was a brutally, a brutal short um, ending. But you, it could definitely be in a um, a song of ice and fire world if you wanted it to be. I mean, ice dragons, according to the show, exist, so maybe. Ah, uh, a bunch of people are just showing up as I'm getting ready to head out. <laughs> well, you guys can watch it on replay. Um, I think that's about it. We started off with a lot of talking about um, Brand the Beauty, Pretty Maris, Kago, and Sandor, and the Windblown. Sort of went into a lot of Targaryen talk, uh, Winds of Winter talk, where Aegon and uh, Daenerys are going, and then somehow ended up on Dunkin' Egg. And... Um, Crusader Kings 2. Uh, and I'm just going to grab a couple more questions and I'm going to head out. Um, Rod Dammit says, What's your favorite company of swords? I dig the Golden Company and the Second Sons. Um, my favorite is... Oh, God. There's a... Um, I have to look up the name... There's one started by Starks. Um, the Wolf Pack. Yes, the Wolf Pack was a northern sellsword company that operated out of Essos, and it seems likely that the children of Artos Stark uh, ended up joining the, um, maybe at some point joined that company. Think of it, just a bunch of Northmen running around Essos. That must have been crazy. That'd be an, that would actually be an interesting Dunkin' Egg story if they ever interacted. Um, Kathy Dahad says, you still need to say who the Tired Prince is. That'll be a video. Um, I think if you watch back this stream, uh, The Company of the Wolf, that's, that's another one too. Uh, if you watch back this stream, you may be able to figure out who I think the uh, Tired Prince is. I kind of couldn't stop myself for a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for coming to everybody. Um, I don't know if there's anybody else streaming right now. Um, if there is, um, I don't normally, I don't know the timings on Saturdays that well. So don't have anywhere to send you. Um, but, you know, have a happy Saturday, everybody. Enjoy your um, social isolation and quarantining, I guess. Um, I'll probably be back. Uh, next Saturday, I would say. I expect a video to come out in this next week, I would say, as well. Uh, talking about Ari and the Faceless Men. 
one of my favorite subjects. And um, yeah, everybody have a good night. Um, I'll probably see you guys next. I get, probably Valor Arvidus with History of Westeros, unless they're doing another um, Crusader Kings stream, in which I probably be joining in on that chat too. So thanks, everybody. Have a good night.